Well, good morning. Uh, you saw the uh, the video there. Next week we're beginning a new series, the gospel, and uh, gospel means good news, and that's what we're going to talk about. And we're kind of doing it backwards because today we're going to start with the end of the story. Today we're going to start with the really good news, and the next week we're going to back up and we're going to talk about the beginning of the story, which is not so good, which is really pretty bad for us, and, it, and we're going to talk about what our state is, what our spiritual state is as human beings. And then, uh, but today we're gonna, you're going to hear the good news, so I'm glad you're here today. Glad you're here on Easter Sunday, but I would love for you to come back next week and we'll begin a three-week series on the gospel, the story of Jesus, how God saves us. And, uh, but uh, I'm so glad that you're here today, glad you're taking the time to, uh, to come to church, to celebrate Jesus together. It's a beautiful day outside. It's been a beautiful week. I love, personally, I love how we skipped spring and went directly to summer. I know some of y'all are complaining about that. But back in January, when all the lakes were frozen over around here and the high was 28, I dreamed of days like we had this week. And so I've just been loving it this week. But so glad you're here. We're going to finish up a series that we started about two months ago today, and uh, we've been talking for the last seven weeks about, or last eight weeks, about biblical heroes. And we've talked about how guys in the Bible uh, were heroic because of the faith that they had, the things that they did, but we also, instead of just focusing on how great they were and, and how mighty they were, we've also spent time focusing on how real they were. Because all of the guys in the Bible, all the great heroes of the faith that maybe you've heard about your whole life, they were regular people just like me and you. And we've talked about people like uh, Abraham and David and Peter, and, and we've talked about how, how those guys, they all had these amazing strengths, but they also had these flaws, these crippling weaknesses, these things that we can oftentimes really relate to them about. Well, today we're going to finish the hero series by talking about the ultimate hero. And the ultimate hero, obviously, and of course, is Jesus. And the way Jesus is different than the other four guys that we've spent the last two months talking about is that he doesn't have strengths and weaknesses. He only has strengths. Because there was no flaw in Jesus. There was no crippling weakness in Jesus. There was nothing about him that we can look at and say, Oh, oh yeah, I see where he messed up there. In fact, we can look at all the other guys, we can look at the ones we've talked about, and we can, like Moses or whoever, and we can say, oh, I've messed up like that before. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we look at it and we say, that's what I want to be like. And, and he never messed up. See, Jesus is the ultimate hero. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Before Muhammad Ali ever proclaimed himself that, Jesus was the greatest of all time a long time before that. And Jesus it has hero credentials in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different areas. One reason that Jesus is, has the credential of a hero or should be looked up to as a hero is just what we just talked about. He lived a life on this earth and never committed a sin. He never once committed a sin. He never lost his cool and cussed somebody out. He never gave someone the finger when he was on his donkey in traffic. You know, I mean, he never... He, he, he just never did any of those things that we do. He never stole anything from anyone. He never told a lie, even if he thought it would get him out of trouble. And so that in and of itself should make him worthy of being a hero. The fact that he lived on this earth for 33 years and never committed a sin. 
But not only did he do that, he performed miracles. And you've probably heard about him. Maybe you've read about him in the Bible. He did things like he could control the weather and tell a storm to stop. And he could even raise people from the dead. And he could heal people of illnesses that they had had their entire lives. That makes him worthy of being a hero. Then, of course, he died. He died for a purpose. He died for you and for me. He went willingly to die a painful death on the cross. No one forced him to do it. He did it because he was willing to take the punishment and to be the sacrifice for all of us. That makes him worthy of being a hero. But if if those were the only things he had done, if the story ended right there, then he really wouldn't be worth celebrating. Because a lot of people have died for other folks before. And other people have even performed miracles. Now, no one else lived a sinless life. He did that on his own. He's the only one that's ever done that. But if that's where the story ended, then he wouldn't be worthy of being the greatest of all time. But see, the story didn't end there. The thing that makes Jesus the ultimate hero, the thing that puts him above every other hero that we've ever talked about and every other hero that you will ever identify with in the rest of your life is that after he died, and he really died, he didn't just swoon, he didn't just faint on the cross, he was really dead. There was no blood pumping through his veins, there was no breath coming out or into his lungs, he was dead. And after he died, they put him in a tomb, and he spent one night there, and then all the next day there, and then another night there, and then on early Sunday morning sometime, before daylight, before anyone else arrived there at the tomb to check on him, he, put, he got up, he came back from the dead, he pushed the stone away, and he walked out just as alive as he had ever been before. And that is what makes Jesus the ultimate hero of all time. That is why we celebrate today. See, the cross is important. The cross is vitally important to what we believe and to to what we hold to. But if the cross happened by itself without what happened on Sunday morning, without the resurrection, then the cross loses its power. But what we have come here today to celebrate, and what we celebrate here each and every Sunday morning, is that Jesus didn't stay dead. We celebrate the resurrection. And that makes him the ultimate hero. You see... This, this event, the cross and the resurrection, is, is, a, is one of the biggest, oh, it's the biggest event in history. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But the thing is, you've got events in your life that happen, and, and maybe some of them you recognize at one point as, oh, that was a big thing when it happened, but then there's other events that happen, and maybe you don't realize how big they are at the time. For instance, when, uh, when I, my freshman year of college, 1987, you know, acid wash jeans and mullet and the whole deal that was going on back then and Converse high tops. Yeah, those were popular back then too. If some of you are buying those today, think those were new, but those are old. And uh, so fall of 87, you know, I go to college and, uh, and, and I go there and, and I go to this campus function that they have and I meet this little short girl with big blue eyes and really long eyelashes and we probably talked for maybe three minutes. She actually invited me to church. And I walked away from there thinking, oh, she was kind of cute. But I had no idea how important that event would be in my life. Because that would be the lady that I would one day marry, that I'm still married to, and we would have children together and all that kind of stuff. So that was a big event, but I didn't realize it at the time. Then there's other events that happen to you in life where the moment it happens, you realize, oh, this will never be the same. One of those happened for me 
on September 16, 1994, we go to the hospital. And, well, actually, we had been in the hospital for a few days before that. It's a longer story. But that was the day they said, this baby's coming. we got to take this baby. And, uh, and, and they, they, uh, they, they cut my wife open. She had a C-section. And they, they pulled that. You know, and the doctor said, hey, come on down here and watch this. And I said, no, I don't want to see any of that. And, and, and they pulled this little baby out with just a little fuzz on top of her head, and she was so tiny, and they put her in my arms. And that was an event that I knew at that moment, life's different now. Things are not the same. And then there's events that happen sometimes that we all experience together, and we know when we experience them that life will never be the same. 9-11-2001 is one of those times. Everybody knew. We all together sat around that day watching TV and thinking, this is different. Life is going to be different from now on. No matter what events you've gone through in your life, you think back through your life, meeting your spouse, having your kids, uh, graduating from somewhere, getting, you know, getting off of drugs or getting on to drugs or whatever it is that you look back on your life and say, wow, that really changed me. That was a huge event in my life. Whatever they were, all of those pale in comparison to how important the cross and the resurrection is in your life. Even if you don't realize it, The cross and the resurrection is the most important event in your life. In fact, it is the most important event. It is the main event in all of human history. Everything that happened before the cross and the resurrection pointed to it. If you read through the Old Testament, you read those stories, and you read the stories about guys like Abraham and Moses and David that we just spent uh, several weeks talking about. You read in those stories, you see stories, you see characters, you see verses that are pointing you to Jesus. They're pointing you to the fact that one day the Messiah would come. One day the one they had been waiting on would come and he would be the sacrifice for the sins of everybody and that he wouldn't stay dead but he would come back to life. They were all pointing to that. And then after that event, after the cross and the resurrection, everything that's happened since then, it has been affected by it. It's all been affected by it. And so what we are here today to celebrate, what we are here today to talk about is the resurrection and how it affects your life whether you realize it or not. Now, I don't know why all of you are here today. Chances are some of you are here because uh, you're searching, you're looking for answers, and you thought, I'm going to go to church on Easter and you try this out. Maybe some of you are here and you're desperate. You're at a time in your life where everything's falling apart. Maybe you're here um, because you're just trying to make somebody happy, honestly. You know, I'll get Mama off my case and go to church with her today. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're here just because this is what you do. Yeah, we go to church on Easter. That's, that's the time we go and, and we show up. I don't know what, why you're here, what your motivation for being here today is. But no matter what your motivation is, here are the facts of Easter. And we're all going to have to deal with those facts. And we're all going to be forced to make a decision based on those facts. And the facts of Easter are this. Jesus came to earth. He was God. He was also man. And he lived a sinless life here. Never committed a sin. He died on the cross, a painful death, suffocated, bled to death on the cross to be the, sa- the sacrifice for our sins. And then after they put him in the tomb, he came back from the grave. And that's what we all have to deal with. That's what we all have to figure out where we stand in regards to those facts. Now, I want to start by reading you a couple of passages of Scripture. And the one, first one is in Matthew. If you've got your Bibles... Look at the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 27, 57 through 61. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, it's on the screen. You can follow along up there. Matthew 27, 57 through 61. 
Now, this is after Jesus has died. It says this, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now, when uh, several weeks ago I was preparing for this message today and praying through, what are we going to talk? About? I mean, you know, not, what are we going to talk about on Easter? Obviously, we're going to talk about the resurrection, but how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to get that point across? And so, what I did is I just read through all four Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I went and I read the the parts of those that talk about the cross and the resurrection. I'm going to take a sip of this water. Anybody bothered by the pollen this week? It's tearing me up. I think something else is in there. But uh, so I read through those four, all sections, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the Gospels, talking about the cross, the resurrection, and just read through there. And I got to this passage of Scripture. And this movie came to mind. Now, I know I'm crazy. And I know some of you are going to never come back to this church again. But this is what came to my mind when I read that passage of Scripture. Go ahead and show the clip. Bernie, all right, okay, look me in the eyes, 50,000, yes, 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 I know it, thank you, Bernie, thank you so much, this guy's like family, you're beautiful, <laughs> anybody else remember that movie? Weekend at Bernie's, you know, it goes right up there with the all-time great films like Caddyshack 2 and Cannonball Run or anything Ben Affleck's been in. I mean, you know, it, I mean, it, it never won an Oscar. It never will, should have been nominated. probably never really should have been made, but it made a lot of money back in the 80s. And you're thinking, and you know, and I know there's some of you out there thinking, did he really just show Weekend at Bernie's after talking about Jesus being dead? But listen to me. Here's what I was thinking with that, and here's why it came to my mind is that in Easter, we're celebrating the resurrection. And you read Matthew 27, and, and there's nothing happy, there's nothing funny about Matthew 27, 57 through 61 that we just read. It's sad, it's solemn, Jesus is dead. But the thing is, Jesus is dead, and they're able to take Him and put Him where they want. And I thought about Weekend at Bernie's because, you remember, the whole movie was about this dead guy, Bernie and these two guys in there, and it's like a whole movie of gags where they're propping him up on stuff and, you know, him falling out of boats and washing up in the ocean and all this kind of stuff. And, and I thought about it because here's the thing that I think is true. And if you're honest with yourself, maybe, maybe you can admit this today. If you're honest with yourself, I think you may actually be more comfortable with the idea of a dead Jesus than a live Jesus. If you really think about the way you live your life day to day, you're more comfortable with the weekend at Bernie's Jesus. You're more comfortable with Jesus when he was dead and in the tomb. Because when, when 
Jesus is dead, you can prop Him up and you can put Him wherever you want Him to be, to where it's convenient for you. You see, the weekend at Bernie's Jesus, He has no power. The weekend at Bernie's Jesus is still in the grave. And chances are, if you're really honest about the way you live your life, you're more comfortable with Jesus still in the tomb than with the risen Jesus, with the Jesus who's alive, with the Jesus who is all-powerful, with the Jesus who defeated death. Because when Jesus is still in the tomb, you can live however you want. You can do exactly what pleases you. You can live the way society tells you to live and ignore everything Jesus taught us to do. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, Man, that guy is crazy. That is the most blasphemous thing I've ever... Weekend at Bernie's Jesus? That is sacrilegious and blasphemous. Let me ask you this. Is it any more sacrilegious or blasphemous than if you call yourself a Christian, but you continually ignore what the Bible teaches? You call yourself a Christian and you continually ignore the teachings that Jesus gave us. That's way more blasphemous than us talking about weekend at Bernie's Jesus. And see, the thing about it is, is that if Jesus is still dead, there's no fear, there's no respect of someone who's dead. When I was a kid, there was a guy in my neighborhood, a friend of mine named Gil, and, uh, and we all played foot, me and Gil and Ken and Jeff and a bunch of us that grew up in Woodland Hills down there in, in Columbia. We all played football together, uh, not real football, backyard football, right? You know, it was like every afternoon after school, you know, we're coming home, we're either lying to our parents about how much homework we have or we're trying to finish it real fast, and we're going out and we're playing football every afternoon until supper time. That was what we lived for. That's what we wanted to do. And Gil had the best yard for playing football because... There were no trees in the middle of the backyard. There were a couple of trees on the edge, but you just had this long backyard with no trees in the middle. And if you're building a house one day and you want to have boys, don't put any trees in the backyard, all right, because he'll thank you for it later. And so we, so Gil's house was the best house to play football in. The only problem with playing football at Gil's house is that for a while there, he had these neighbors that was this this old lady and an old man and... um and, and I know if you're here today and you're a senior citizen, um, but I was 10. They were old. They were probably like 50 then, you know. But, but to me, they seemed really old. But the thing was, this, this old guy that lived there, he didn't like, I don't know if he didn't like kids or he didn't like football or he didn't like boys playing football next to his house. But either way, he didn't like us playing over there. Now, we weren't in his yard. We were next doors, but he was this grumpy old guy, and he didn't like us being over there. And every once in a while, the ball would go into his yard, and we'd have to be, you know, we're at the edge of the fence like, all right, is he out there? You know, so one of us would jump over there and run and get it and try to run back because if he caught us, he'd like call our parents and fuss and all this kind of stuff. So he was just this old grumpy guy. Well, one day, and I don't know what happened, the old grumpy guy died, all right? And uh, it's okay to laugh at that. I'm just, I mean, you know, people die. Because it was strange to me because as a kid I was kind of happy about it because I didn't know him, right? I mean, I'm 10 and I'm thinking, okay, now. But see, here's the thing. When the old, the, the old guy, when he passed away, the, they, it was like the two days before his funeral, we wanted to play football at Gil's house. But now Gil's mom was a good, nice southern lady. So what do you think she told us? You can't play ball. It's disrespectful. You know, he just died, and they're going to have family coming into the house. But now here's what I was thinking as a 10-year-old. 
as a 10-year-old, I'm thinking, now listen, I can understand why we shouldn't maybe have played before because he was alive and we were scared of him, but what can he do to us now, right? He's dead. We can play all we want. We can go run around in his backyard. He can't do anything to us. Now, I know that's, that's wrong and that's, you know, just all that kind of stuff. But as a 10-year-old, that's what I was thinking. Because as a 10-year-old, I had no fear of someone who was dead. I had no respect, healthy respect for someone who was dead. And I think sometimes we live our lives as if Jesus is dead and not alive. We don't have any fear or respect for who He was, who He is, what He taught while He was on this earth. We ignore the things He said to do. We look at them like they're crazy. And see, if Jesus is dead, if Jesus is still in the tomb, then all His commands are now, they're just suggestions. We don't have to abide by those anymore. Do you know, I've, I've actually had someone say to me before that they wanted to join a certain church but they wouldn't join that church until their parents died because their parents raised them in a different church. And as long as they're alive, I don't want to do that. But when they die, we're going to join over there. You know why? Because once your parents are dead, well, all that stuff they told you, that's just a suggestion. Now, now we can, all, you know, it's all on now. We can do whatever we want. We can go join the Presbyterian church, or the Baptist church, or the Lutheran church because our parents didn't like that church, but now they're gone. And see, we look at the things that Jesus has commanded us to do And if we live like he's still dead, if we live like he's in the tomb, then we look at it and we say, man, Jesus taught that we're supposed to put the needs of other people ahead of ourselves. I don't like that idea. I'm not going to do that. Or Jesus taught that we're supposed to to live and, and put the kingdom of God first and not my own desires. So that means there's certain things I probably won't get to buy. There's certain things I won't get to do if I'm putting the kingdom of God first. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm going to live like Jesus is still in the tomb. Then the funny thing about that is, even though a lot of times we live like Jesus is still in the tomb, there's also times when most of us don't want Jesus to stay dead. We live like He's in the tomb, but then most of us don't want Jesus to stay dead. You see, we, we want him to be alive, but we don't want him to be in charge. Now check out what I'm talking about here. You want Jesus to be alive, but you want him to be like your butler or your handyman or the guy that gets you out of trouble, who bails you out of jail, that friend you can call who's got enough money to bail you out when you get in trouble that time again. We want him alive, but we want him alive on our terms. There was a guy in Scripture like that in Luke 23, verses 1 through 9. His name was Herod. And check out what happened when, uh, when they were trying Jesus and trying to get him arrested. It says this, Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. Talking about Jesus, they took him to this guy named Pilate, and they're going to try to get him uh, arrested, or they try to get him convicted. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of our taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee, and he has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. See, here's the deal you need to know about Pilate. Pilate was a typical bureaucrat, 
And so if he could avoid making the decision, he's going to push it off to somebody else, you know. So then when it's bad, he can say, hey, that wasn't my administration. That was the last administration that did that, you know, or that was, the, that was somebody else's out of my hands. And so then verse 7, when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Now check out what Herod wanted to see Jesus for. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. See, Herod was happy to see Jesus, not because he wanted to learn from him, not because he wanted to discuss religion or theology with him. Herod wanted to see Jesus because he was hoping to see a trick. He was hoping to be entertained for the day. Hey, I heard this dude changes water into wine, right? Y'all fill up a couple of things of you know, water and we're going we're gonna to all drink up this afternoon because Jesus is coming. He's going to change it to wine. Or maybe he heard that he had walked on water. Y'all pull a kiddie pool in here from Walmart and let's fill it up. And I'm going to watch him stand on it, right? And that's going to be awesome because Jesus is going to perform a miracle just for me, just for Herod because I'm the king and I can make him do that kind of stuff. But of course, when Jesus showed up, as we see there in verse 9, it says he plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. See, Jesus didn't want to play. Jesus decided, I'm not going to play your little game. And so what did Herod do? Verses 10 and 11 tells us that when, when he didn't get his way, look what it says. It says the chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. And then in verse 11, it talks about that then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. So when Herod didn't get his way, he turned on Jesus. Oh, you're not going to do a trick for me? Well, you're a fake. You're a phony. I'm going to put this robe on you and make fun of you because you claim to be a king. Now, that, you might hear that and you say, man, Herod was a bad guy. But does it not sound familiar to your life and my life sometimes? Have you ever done this before? Have you ever gotten to the point to where you haven't been living for Jesus at all? You've been living like He's still in the tomb. But all of a sudden, something comes up. And then you want Him to do something for you. You want Him to perform a trick. You know, and you, you get on your knees. Oh, Jesus, I know that I don't live for You at all. In fact, I ignore everything You say. All that stuff about sex before marriage, I've been ignoring that for years, Jesus. And what to do with your money? I've just been spending it the way I want to. And Jesus, I've been ignoring everything you say. I hate people. I don't forgive people. I've been ignoring you for years. But listen, I need ten grand. Can you help me out? My girlfriend's pregnant. Can you do something about that for me? They're laying off people at work. Jesus, please help. My mom's got cancer. And Jesus, I promise, I know I've never done anything for you before, but if you'll just cure my mama, if you'll give me that money, I promise from then on, then I'll start living like you want me to live. Because see, Jesus, before, the resurrection wasn't enough to make me believe in you. But if you do this trick for me, then I'll believe in you. Now, have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever known anybody in that situation? The cross, the resurrection, that's not enough to make you believe in Jesus. But if Jesus will just perform this trick for me, if He'll cure my mama, if He'll give me this money, if He'll take care of this unwanted pregnancy, if He'll do any one of number of these things, then, then I'll follow Jesus. Then I'll believe in Jesus. And so it's not like we really want Jesus to be alive. We want Him to be alive to do what we want. 
We want him to be alive, but not be in control. And so then here's what happens. You don't get the $10,000. Your girlfriend does turn out to be pregnant and has the baby. Your mom dies. You lose your job because of the layoffs. And then how do you respond? You respond the way Herod did. Man, Jesus, you're nothing but a fake. I'll never do that again. You see, that's why I don't go to church. That's why I don't read the Bible. Because it's all a bunch of garbage. The one time, the one time I needed Jesus, what did He do for me? And so you find yourself asking the question, what has Jesus ever done for me? And so we take Jesus and we put Him back in the tomb and we roll the stone in front of it and then we walk away thinking that somehow we're really in charge of this situation. But see, we're fooling ourselves when we get to that point. If we live our lives the way Herod lived his life and think, hey, bring him in and let him, let him do a trick for me. Or if we, if we live our lives where we think we can just prop up Jesus and get him to do whatever we want and put him in the situations we want, we're fooling ourselves. Luke twenty three twenty six. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene who was on his way in from the country. This is a guy just walking along the road, minding his own business. And they put the cross on him. The cross Jesus would be crucified. They put it on him, on Simon's back, and they made him carry it behind Jesus. You want to know what Jesus has ever done for you? Jesus did what only he could do for you. He died on the cross for you. See, nobody else could do that. You couldn't do it for yourself. If you had been alive 2,000 years ago and they had said, hey, this guy needs to die for his own sins, you could have died, but you couldn't have come back. That would have been it. But see, Jesus did what only he could do. And the reason he could do it and no one else could do it is because he had never committed a sin. Never once had he sinned. And so he was the perfect sacrifice. I told you a while ago that the Old Testament points to Jesus. In the Old Testament, it would talk about getting a perfect lamb, one without any blemishes, one without any problems, one without any kind of spots on its body at all. And they would have to bring that lamb, and that would be the one that would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. That's who Jesus was. He was the perfect lamb. And only He could die on the cross for you. Now, Joseph could carry the cross for Jesus. But only Jesus could die on that cross. And Jesus has never asked you, He's never expected you to die for your own sins because you can't do it. You can't pay the sacrifice for your sins. 1 Corinthians 5.21 said that God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The only sinless man took on every sin you've ever committed, every sin you're ever going to commit. He took on the sins of people that haven't been born yet. He took on the sins of people who have been dead for years now. And he took all of that on him, and he paid the price that we couldn't pay. He doesn't expect you to die for your sins, but he does expect you to follow him. I love it on Luke in the verse there about Luke 23:26, where it talks about Joseph carrying the cross. It says that they made him carry it behind Jesus. 
He was following Jesus, and that's what Jesus has asked us to do. So here's what I want you to think about today. Are you ready? Are you at a point where you are ready to pick up your cross and begin to follow Jesus? Luke 9.23 says that if anyone would come after me, this is Jesus talking, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. You can't pay the price for your sin, but you can make a decision to follow Jesus. And so here's what I want you to think about. Maybe you're here today, and you've made somewhere along the line, you made a, listen to me now, hold up, I already see what's happening. Some of y'all are thinking about grandma's tater salad right now. And you're thinking, man, do we have time to get over to Traveler's Rest for lunch here? Because that's where I'm going in a minute. That's what I'm thinking about. But put all that out of your mind, all right? And concentrate on this for just a second. Because how you respond to what's going to happen in the next few moments will affect your eternity. Some of you, you might be here today and you say, you know what, Cliff, I made a commitment to Jesus a long time ago and I walked down an aisle at a church and it was at a revival or whatever and I even got baptized and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that wasn't an important day in your life. I'm not saying it wasn't real. But let me tell you this. If from that day till now there's been no change in your life, then all you did when you got baptized is you just got wet. Because the Scripture tells us that when you become a follower of Christ, it tells us that you become a new creation. Now that doesn't mean you don't ever sin anymore. Because we're all going to mess up and that's what the cross covered was our sins. But if there was no change in your life, if you went on from then and you've lived just exactly as you did before and you could just say, hey, I was living this way, I accepted Jesus, and I was still living the same way for the next 20 years after that, you haven't had an experience with Jesus. You had a religious moment at a church. And it's time for you to move beyond that and say, you know what, today I want to accept the Jesus who is alive. Not the Jesus who's still in the grave, but I want to accept the Jesus who is alive. Now, maybe you're here today and you've never had any kind of religious experience. You've never had any kind of moment where you felt like, yeah, you've made some kind of commitment to Jesus and this is all brand new to you. But you hear it and in your mind you're already beginning to make excuses. And you're saying to yourself, you know, I hear what you're saying about needing to accept Jesus and and believing that Jesus died on the cross and He rose from the grave, but... But if I do that, my husband won't understand or my wife won't understand or it'll confuse my kids or, or my parents won't get it or, or the guys at work won't understand it or you don't know all the things I've done. I've been so bad, Jesus could never forgive me for all those things. And whatever excuse you've got, whatever it is, that stuff, all it's doing is it's standing in the way of you making sure that your life is going to be changed and you accepting the free gift of Jesus. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to pray a prayer that we would all deal with Jesus who is alive. Not weekend at Bernie's Jesus. Not still in the grave Jesus. Not the Jesus that does tricks for us when we need him to. But the Jesus who is alive. The one who is worth committing our lives to. I'm going to say a prayer. And then after we pray, Sherry's going to begin to play on the piano quietly. And if you want to accept Jesus, I want you to stand up. And I want you to walk down the aisle and just stand right down here in the front. And, and, And you might say, hey, wait a minute. 
Wouldn't it be better if we all closed our eyes and we lifted our hand? Let me ask you this. If Jesus died naked on a cross in front of everybody and people threw things at him and spit on him and hurled insults at him and he did that publicly, surely, surely, if you really want to be changed, you can stand up and you can publicly walk down while everybody's got their eyes wide open and the lights are still up bright. All right? So let's pray. Father God, my prayer is this morning is that those that are here today that know right now, they know that they need to accept Jesus. They know they need to believe that not only He died on the cross, but that He rose from the grave, and they need to commit to follow Him for the rest of their life. Even if they don't have all the answers and don't understand all how that works, my prayer is, is that they would make that commitment right now that they wouldn't allow anything to stop them. And Lord, we will give you the glory for all that you do because it is because of the resurrection, because you didn't stay dead, that we can live lives committed to you. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we know it all, but it just means that we are holding on to you for what happens in our eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to accept Jesus, you come down right now. need to give your life to Jesus. Don't wait. Don't think you got till next Sunday. You come on. We're going to let her play for just a little bit longer.
we're going to celebrate. That's what we're celebrating.